Welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I am Oscar Hernandez. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. And I'm Phil Gambling. Today's topic is something that always seems to be lurking nearby whenever you're planning out, working on, or just about to wrap up a project. That's right, we're talking about scope creep. Let's get started. So let's start off by defining what we mean by scope creep. Generally, we try to define it as something like continually adding more and more features, functionality, requirements, work, or whatever to a project that causes the overall scope of that project to balloon out of control. So from there, where have y'all run into scope creep in the past? Uh, What does it usually look like? What are some of the warning signs and kind of what's the end result when it comes up? I guess when when have we not run into it? When there's any <laughs> software developer uh, not run into scope creep is uh, in some form. I mean, there's yeah, so there's scope creep of the overall projects. Just you know, new new features that maybe were not captured or new requirements not captured early on in the initial statement of work or initial like project plan that come late in the game. Or even maybe like at the sprint level, you know, within the sprint, you ideally set out a very constrained tight scope, but inevitably things are going to creep in. Maybe there's like fires, production issues, just things that slip in and kind of because of their urgency and priority uh, add, but you know, you never want to push anything out. You know, you should say, I don't know, those are a couple, just a couple instances I can think of. Let me introduce a, a corollary to that. It's almost like to, to build on what Phil said is like, when have you not, right? I'd go as far as to say that if you aren't getting even a little bit of inkling of scope creep, that you should sort of ask questions of why not? Is it because mm-hmm. the client's not engaged? Are they not excited? Is it being ignored and everyone will turn their attention to it very late in the game, which will cause all sorts of other issues as they're seeing it for the first time, right? Uh, like scope creep to me almost uh, tells me that the client is engaged and people are interested in what we're doing and they're continuously thinking about the new ways and and vision for what we're working on. So it's actually a good sign of a healthy project. Yeah, like we're, we're immediately thinking this is a negative thing, but right, I think it's a good problem to have the opposite of crickets from your users. <laughs> and you're probably not going to be building this thing much longer. Right. It's like a fundamental part of project management. You don't want scope creep to get out of control, but yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. It's, it's, it's a sign of a healthy interaction between you and your, your client. I think another thing that's, that's good to note is that it can come up at any time in the project. Like it's not, Oh, scope creep only happens at the beginning. That's, you know, it's part of why it's called what it is. It kind of creeps up on you when you're not expecting it, but I think it's easy to think that it's it's common to happen kind of during the planning, like, oh, we're, we have all these great ideas that are coming to the surface and it's getting too big, but we're all super excited. So let's just try it anyway. But really it can happen two weeks before release where you say, oh, wait, we really need this thing because our competitor just came out with it and we need to have an answer. So just being aware, like it's not restricted to any one part of the project or the process. It can happen anytime. Earlier on, I think, I mean, maybe I'll disagree. Earlier is better. You know, I'd rather see that 
scope build early on, and then hopefully we can now prioritize and plan it out versus getting into that never ending project that, you know, it's always like a week or two away to being done, but new things keep coming in and pushing that back. I feel like that is a more frustrating position and, and like manifestation scope creep than just the early requirements gathering stage. Just like at that point, yeah, let the scope, as long as it's not, uh, you know, we can realistically prioritize scope. Maybe that's a, maybe that's even another term we get introduced, like priority creep, you know, if everything <laughs> is a high priority, nothing's a high priority, like the scope can increase, but they can't all increase at the same level of priority. Um, otherwise you just, you can't plan around that. Yeah. The more runway you have, the more flexibility, right. To adapt. Uh, and maybe it wasn't what you initially set off to do, but if it does happen early, then you can prioritize and, uh, you know, sort of do the horse trading, uh, and see, Hey, are, are these other things more important now for the, the value that we need delivered at the end of this? Uh, if it happens at the end, as Phil said, it's like, you know, there's only so much wiggle room at that point. Yeah, definitely. I've been on projects where what I tend to see is if there's more disorganization on a project, I tend to see scope creep towards the end. If it's more organized and people are excited about the project, I see it a lot at the beginning and in the middle. Mm-hmm. And those are the two main points that where you will see it a lot, right? Is like, hey, we've established in a, a relationship and now we're getting going. And now all of a sudden, as you do the early discovery stages, the client and the users are like, oh, what if we did this? And what if we did this? And that, you know, is a good healthy sign that people are thinking about it and proposing ideas. And so there might be a lot of that that is different than sort of what we agreed on when we were, you know, establishing the relationship. And of course, at the end, which we know is oftentimes when, uh, you know, users are actually testing uh, the product fully, Uh, even though they should be doing it throughout, a lot of times they all wait till the end. And then they'll be like, oh, what about this? Could we do this? And that's where they really get going. But time is running out at that point. Right. Think of like how you and I, Kareem, will talk about like when it comes to home renovations, you're either going to do it at the beginning when you move in or at the end when you're moving out and trying (laughs) to sell it. In the middle, you know, things are usually quieter. And I feel like that's the same with project lifecycle. It's like everyone's interested in all the things they want out of this project and towards the end, all the things I need to get it done. But in the middle and it's cruising along, it's usually quieter. Yeah. There are parts of any project where it's the kind of thing where you can't really tell if it's right until you're messing with it a little bit. Like wireframes and prototypes are great and user feedback can be really helpful, but there are some elements that, you know, their performance might be worse than you thought it would be, or there's Mm -hmm. just some element that isn't quite hitting as you thought. So, so there is a natural part of that where towards the end of the project, when you're getting your hands on it, yeah, there will be tweaks and refinements, but I think the key there is knowing when to say, okay, this is, this is good. The spot we're at is good and it's stable. And now we have a roadmap for where we want to go from here. Let's cut a release and plan for the next version instead of the like, well, hang on, we just need to get this next thing, right? Oh wait, this next thing could be better. This could be faster. This could be smoother. And that kind of constantly wanting to do everything perfectly to the point where you never release anything. And that's one of the, the, the joys of software is that you can make refinements and updates as you go. You don't want to make a habit of releasing something that's unfinished, but you do have the freedom to make updates and iterations and improvements as you go, which you don't have with a lot of other um, things that you would release out into the world. 
That performance example is a good one of, of being a late a late stage scope creep that you really couldn't do anything about upfront. Like maybe because of the, your success and excitement around your platform, you go live and you expected a thousand users, you got a million, and you got the internet hug of death. Um, yeah, you're <laughs> going to need to fix that problem, and and that's not something you you designed around a certain threshold, and then you know you're the victim of your own success. And that's all the more reason to, for the things that you can, uh, try to bring the unknown things into the known, right? So a lot of times in engagements, uh, data is a big part of it. And getting access to that actual data is difficult. And sometimes it, uh, we get it towards the end. And there are surprises there because, hey, this data is not in the format we thought, or, hey, this is a magnitude larger than uh, you know what we were expecting or were told, right? So it's like, surprise. And in order to make that performance, you know, now there's all of a sudden, you know, scope creep because it is different than the expectations we were operating off of. So, you know, that's that's sort of something you should be on top of and trying to continue push that forward to, for the unknowns, at least get them cleared up early on to the extent that you can. Yeah, I kind of want to pivot a little bit. We've obviously talked about some of the reasons why scope creep happens and things to you know be aware of or keep in mind. But I think we should also spend some time going a little bit deeper into like some of the dangers of it. Like obviously, like Phil was saying, it's something we're all familiar with. It it tends to happen in most projects, or at least most healthy projects, even. But what are kind of the bigger reasons to just be aware of it and try to keep it under control? Because it can easily spin out of control. I have been in situations where it essentially just pops up at the end uh, during release, especially when you're fixing bugs and there's like micro scope creep happening uh, <laughs> as you're fixing the bugs. And that, that really affects um, deployments and a lot sometimes delivery of that feature, which, you know, affects everybody down the line. But a lot of times the client wants it, but also doesn't want the effects of what that entails at the same time. So. Yeah, like team morale suffers because it's just this constant like drip, drip, drip of negative things like, ah, get another bug. We're so close, but we're not there. That, that never ending feeling. We're just constantly moving the goalposts, right? Like, oh, yeah. I thought we were almost there. Oh, okay, one more, one more sprint. Oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe two more sprints. And then it just keeps moving back and back and back. And even though it might have been something you were super excited about, now it feels like it's never going to get here. Yeah, when it like, drags on, it prevents you from getting that dopamine kick that you get from mm -hmm. completing something, right? And like the, the dangers really are if you go over time or budget, you might have some unhappy stakeholders. And, uh, you know, in the extreme, if there's this continuous scope creep, you might never ship the product, like ever, right? And mm -hmm. it never sees, sees the light of day. Yeah, I feel like there's another element to this that, um, like like you were saying, Kareem, managing the client expectations and managing the project as a whole so that you don't get stuck in that spot where you're so focused on how to make things better, how to continuously improve that, like you said, you never ship anything and then the product just you know dies because maybe you took so long to get it out, a competitor beat you to the market and you never get any market share or you run out of budget because you're still trying to fix things and it really isn't in a good place to release because of how many things you've been trying to fix all at once. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a really important part of that needing uh, good project management and people who are aware of the, the nuances there with when to say, okay, we need to fix this and when to say, 
no, it's not ideal, but we can address that in the next release. Let's just get it started. Yeah, I think the next, like, that's a that's really a tactic too. There's always the next release. I feel like there's always a, um, a lot of projects I've been on will talk about things like, oh, that's a 2.0, that's a next gen feature. And, and maybe next gen never happens, but it is a kind of a release get valve or just like a place to just put those things, you know, that are not so urgent and high priority, they have to be in this release. So, you know, that, that requester has somewhere like, oh, okay, that's 2.0, we'll get that in 2.0. Um, and it almost, yeah, I can't get to the point where it's just like a joke, like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> next gen, wink, wink. Um, yeah, like, you don't want to do that too much. Yeah, but yeah, Cause having... that, cause, right, exactly. If you do that too much, then you, you've lost the credibility. But you know, in a well, in a in a, like a well-oiled uh, machine with a good process, hopefully there is some like a roadmap, right? That I mean, that's what your roadmap for. Like, okay, yeah, I see that that's coming up in three I'm okay waiting that month or two or whatever if that release cycle is. Um, that's acceptable, and I, I think I like like you said, it's good project management. It's also good product management. You know, product manager might often be the person coming up with all this stuff like, oh, my, well, my, this one client who's, you know, a, an inkling or a, a small percentage of our user base is demanding this. You know, you got to be able to also weigh the priority of like, well, okay, does this really, do we need this for this current MVP we're building or this phase? Is this really worth holding up? So I know like that's a lot of it is the product manager to have a good sense of like, what is helping their product and what's going to hurt it or, mm-hmm. and really help you just nail down those priorities. And communicating that, like we are visual beings, right? So if you have a, a good issue tracking system like Jira or something, right? People being able to see that, yes, they, their issue or their uh, request has been captured and it is in the backlog for the version two, right? That'll put them a little more at ease versus just saying, oh yeah, that's in version two and then... They, they're scared mm-hmm. we might forget or something, right? So just seeing it's there, uh, they're more comfortable uh, and more willing to say, okay, let's wait till the, the next release for it. And so having just that cut and run uh, mindset, right? Some companies are really good at that. Like, you know, Phil and I just got uh, an update for something literally less than an hour ago where this company is used to just introducing products to the market that are sort of, we jokingly call beta, uh, but they put it out there because they don't wait for it to be completely perfect. And then uh, they, they iterate on that and improve it with firmware updates as they go, right? And so they do a good job of just, hey, it's time to release this release and then we'll introduce the next things after the fact. There is a danger there to if you do that often enough or if your first one is really bad quality uh, or if you don't have the reputation and people have a different sort of first impression, a bad first impression with it, then you might lose those customers, right? So there's a balance on what you think your MVP uh, in terms of quality should be uh, when you do do that release. So like, I know, know who you're talking about. Uh, they've, they have kind of feel like tiptoed that line between like losing customers because their response at least is, yeah, it's coming. Like with the thing we were talking about earlier, like, okay, well, I know that feature's coming. I want that feature. I can wait. I'll be okay with it. And they've always, in my experience, have delivered. So I haven't been totally left in the lurch for like months on a thing that I expected at, at release time. Um, and that's not always true with everyone, but yeah, it's like, that's definitely a tactic and, uh, and it seems to work for them. Like definitely, it's better to deliver something than everything too late. 
And in case uh, people are wondering, it is a doorbell that we're trying to connect to if this and that, that can then turn around and give us Slack like notifications so we know to get up and open the door, uh, uh, which actually works pretty well. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you learn a lot by releasing something like you get more user feedback right. by actually releasing something, but yeah, there's a fine line there between, okay, you should probably do some user testing before you release it too, to make right. sure it's actually uh, worth putting out there. And I would also suggest that, you know, you have to be careful and not dismissive of the scope creep request that you do get, right? Because you don't want to keep shutting down the requesters, the users. Uh, otherwise, you will get people disengaged and they'll not come back to you, right? So being able to manage that and hear them out, make sure they're being heard. That way they keep staying engaged with you and then you can manage and communicate, right? It's as Phil said, uh, the company said, hey, we're working on it. We'll get back to you, right? If there's no communication then that's a bad thing. So always communicate where that request ends up. You don't have to do it right away, but at least you can sort of triage it and let the user know where it stands. Something that I've always had trouble with is finding the line between like the agile workflow and scope creep. And part of what I'm referencing is in agile, the ability to pivot quickly when things change, um, but also pivoting in a way that doesn't increase the scope, um, especially if you're dealing with like a completely new functionality. Say the business users uh, don't like what you've delivered so far and the team wants to pivot completely to a new set of functionality. You'd wanna make sure that those, that new functionality is, has gone through the entire process of being estimated and scoped so that when it's inserted into your um, development cycle, you're not inadvertently uh, introducing scope creep into your into your process. Yeah, I think it's like agile done right is is really to manage that kind of thing, managing scope as well as uh, what you're focusing on. But and what I see in like poorly run projects is the thing gets estimated, it goes through the process, it gets added, but then nothing gets removed. <laughs> you know, like mm. sprint, like as mentioned earlier, it's like sprint just kept expanding. And then we just kept rolling things forward, but we never really asked like, okay, well, what, what can I horse trade? What can we take out so we can fit this other thing in? Cause it doesn't work if you don't do that. Yeah. I think it's interesting that agile, I feel like came about as a result of recognizing the need for moving quick on your feet, but yeah, you need to be really intentional when you're using that method because it's so easy to turn on your feet that you're, you're right. constantly throwing more stuff into the into the queue to the point where you need more of that, not necessarily waterfall, but just more planned out structure and a, a roadmap or an idea where you're going. But yeah, it's like you can see the value in both approaches, but also see where they can go both get off the rails. So I'm curious, um, you know, hypothetically, if we were to ever find ourselves in a situation where we're on a project and we're, we're noticing scope creep is happening, uh, what do you do? Not saying that would ever happen to us, but if it did, uh, what, what are some strategies? What are some ways to approach that? Maybe to bring it up to management or to the, to the team to make sure that you're, you're approaching it in a way to help keep it from becoming um, negative. So you're not talking about the call I had right before this one, right? <laughs> no, the call before that one. Uh, right. Uh, one thing is just to be honest, right? So in the call I just had, we're about to close out a project and handed over. Uh, and there's some new things, a uh, new engagement happening. 
and you know they want these things and the, the best I can really do is tell them hey look we have about a week and a half you know before the handover because that's what you know our budget and deadlines allow but you know let's continue the discussion let's not dismiss it right uh, even if we think the scope required is greater than the time we have available let's keep discussing and at least try to move it forward and whether the actual imp full implementation ends up being in the next version or maybe there's something that's good enough that we can pick from here and sort of uh, you know scope it down to where we can fit it in that gives you some value. Uh, maybe we can prioritize that uh, you know above the other stuff that we were planning to do for the next week and a half, right? Are you okay with that? So try to keep the conversation going because as uh, a responsibility we have uh, is to be a good partner, right? And so at the end of the day, we want to have them get the most value out of it while staying within the restrictions that we do have. And so even if you think that, hey, this is way off, I don't even want to talk about it. Try to just have the conversation going so you can see, uh, you know, maybe there is something in there that you can tease out and uh, implement instead of the full-on feature. I think he says something good in there that good enough, like oftentimes in that situation, you know, what is good enough to satisfy the needs right now versus what we, the ideal perfect solution would have been, you know, like, because good enough is that will, was, will get you out the door versus waiting for perfect. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you were saying, Karim, about just clear communication there and just thinking about, you know, there's never any project where every single person on the team knows what everyone else is working on in detail and where everything is going. And that's part of the need for having people to manage the project is to get people as much on the same page as you can. But even just thinking like, if you're trying to if, say there's, you know, these requests coming in and you're just being upfront and communicating, hey, I think that's out of scope bringing that to the table, that might alert someone else. And they say, oh, wait, no, I actually have something that can help get us, you know, 80% mm -hmm. of the way there. And if you didn't bring that up, that conversation might not happen. So not even seeing it as a, oh, this is definitely out of scope. I need to fight to get this off of this sprint. It just bringing it to the table and saying, hey, I think this might be too much. And just seeing kind of what the response is to that and going from there. Because you, there may very well be people who have encountered this kind of problem before, this kind of request before, and say, oh, yeah, that seems pretty big, but there's actually a toolkit we've used in the past that gets us most of the way there. That actually isn't too bad. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think communication is, is the way to go. Um, I've been in situations where multiple people oversee that aspect of the project. And so communicating to one person um, actually completely removes the, the conversation because that person doesn't then communicate to another person who is also responsible for part of that as well. And so I've seen situations where um, even if we've communicated what the scope is and what we're going to deliver, um, things still come up at the end. We're like, like, well, I thought you said this, or I thought you said that. So I think good thing to do in that situation is to write everything down and to get everything approved by somebody that you're working with at least or by the people that you're working with so that there's at least something that you can refer back to and say well remember two meetings ago I did we did agree on this and that's why we're not bringing it into the uh, into the release and right are you using are you using issue tracking software or you know <laughs> some kind of a system to keep track of work or is it all oh yeah I talked to Jerry last week he said we should you know add this new feature 
okay yeah we'll do that <laughs> yeah I think, uh, that was something that that reminds me of uh, like something last year having to steer conversations and decisions back into the comments in jira you know mm -hmm. because of that exact problem you guys are describing like it happened over a zoom call where no one took any notes or it happened in an email thread that not everybody was on but you know, you have to have like one source of truth and like, yeah, your issue tracking is a great place for that, at least especially for the more tactical ongoing work. And then I think on the bigger project scope, right? Like when things are really not working out, we look back at the SOW and, you know, what did we say we were going to do? Now, hopefully you define that well, um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's probably the ultimate source of truth of, of what is the scope that we've agreed to. An important point is to have a decision owner, right? If you have a, a committee, it's going to be hard to get them all in a room. And even if you have them all in a room, you say something, and I bet you each person there understood it differently, right? Mm -hmm. And so having someone that you go to that at the end of the day is sort of the key decision maker uh, so that they can say, yes, we're going to prioritize this over this because scope changed and we have this much time left. And so we need this more so, uh, you know, and I'm saying that we need this, that that is important too. Otherwise you'll find yourself trying to communicate with different people and get answers and it's not all going to line up and it gets very difficult then. Right. Yeah. Asking three people what they want out of this project, you're going to get probably five different answers. So it's mm -hmm. just part of it. <laughs> So I guess just thinking through from the projects we've been on and the ones that have gone smoothly or navigated this well and the ones that haven't, what are some of the ways that you can make sure you're starting off a new project on the right foot? Clear communication. I guess the C in consulting is for clear and communication, right? Um, <laughs> is if we're very clear from the get-go on here's what we're building, here's what we hear, here's what we understand the requirements to be, then you sort of set off on the correct foot, right? Uh, and then from there, every step of the way being very clear about, hey, here's, we've done this, here's our status on these things, expected to you know, be done by this. And here is the next piece of work that we're working on. Are our priorities still aligned? Or do you have other things in mind? Uh, and sometimes you need to provoke and you know, keep asking, is this the next priority? for them to realize, oh, you know what? I had that conversation two days ago with so-and-so and they were saying this. So maybe we should do this. I just haven't had time to write it up or put it in Jira, but thank you for bringing that up. I, I've, uh, with our projects, so obviously if you just, just work with Xperia, we never miss the mark and it'll always be an excellent <laughs> outcome. But one thing you know I it. do like working with someone like Johnny, honestly, upfront in a discovery process where like, say I've seen you, put together just very high fidelity um, wireframes of what we're going to build. It's great for the developers, but it's always like a lot of times magic for the product owner, product manager types, because they're really, they, they'll like, usually you'll start with a bunch of Word docs and requirements to find that way, but until they really see something, like they don't even think of things they would have missed. So upfront, being able to see something visual, I found like has really led to a better scope from the get-go because like, ah, okay, yeah, we're all, this is the vision. We're all marching towards this. And then like down the line, you know, maybe like, oh, this, this request came in, but hey, it wasn't in the original, you know, wireframes. Um, so like definitely just guiding, really getting a good product focus early on and having just some visual. So something like 
wireframes that people can kind of work work through the process with. It helps a lot. They need something to react to, right? Like yeah. uh, I said earlier, it's like we are visual beings, so you can talk about it all you want, but until they see something and they're like, "Oh, okay, this is what this is," that's when you'll get the most clarity. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the main things I was hearing, Kareem, you were saying was asking a lot of questions. Like, yeah, that's obviously part of communication, but not assuming that everyone's on the same page, not assuming that everyone understands what we're doing this next sprint or that this is being implemented the way everyone thinks it needs to be implemented. Just like being very upfront about, hey, is this right? What do you think? Are we going in the right direction? But obviously for that situation, you do need to have that primary uh, decision-maker role filled by someone who is able to say, yeah, that's a great idea. We can't do it right now, but we'll add it to Jira and you know we'll get to it either in another sprint or another release. Um, and then Phil, when, when you were mentioning kind of early on in that process, working from the sort of higher fidelity ideas, like a big part of that is estimation work, right? Which we've talked mm -hmm. about on previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know if it's out of scope until you estimate the work. And maybe after you estimate, you realize there's even more out of scope than you realized. I, yeah, like, I mean, not to go down the estimation rabbit hole, but definitely I can provide a better estimate when I see something versus my interpretation of words. And even, you know, I'm primarily front-end developer, but even I just, you know, when estimating backends, when everyone can see the thing that they're trying to drive, like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to have to take this consideration into it. It really affects everything. It's like a more holistic estimation. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're just visual people. And to, to make a, a Kareem level punny joke, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Really, you're getting a lot more requirements defined that way. I like it. I approve of that. <laughs> <laughs> to, I mean, to give you a concrete example, right? A grid. We talk about, hey, we need to put a grid on this page, right? Well, that may mean different things to different people, right? And there's a different level of scope and estimates associated with it. So there could be a simple grid. Or it can be a grid with filtering and sorting and pivoting and all sorts of stuff, right? Those are very different estimates, which then influences how much we can fit into the scope or the budget or the time, right? And yeah. so being able to see it, a wireframe of it, and see the different options on that grid uh, makes makes a big difference. The grid is the perfect example of like the like universally underestimated component of a UI that yeah, it can balloon out of control. And I've seen that many times because you could just go on and on like, oh, oh, you also want that grid to export to Excel and be oh, like, would. oh, well, that wasn't, you know, it's like that definitely is an assumption everyone would make. So yeah, that, but we could do a whole exercise on just, just coming up with requirements around grids to demonstrate scope creep. Right. And here's a side tip. You always want to estimate export to Excel because that's the world's favorite tool. Yeah. So just, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. It's, it's only scope creep to the people who don't know it's an expectation. Mm -hmm. But until you have the conversation with the people who are expecting export to Excel and search and pivoting and all of that, you don't know that it's going to become an issue. The scope creep can cause a lot of frustration and I've seen it happen a lot, but to your guys' point, it can be healthy and definitely natural on a project. It just has to be uh, handled in the right way um, with lots of communication and very clear requirements. And uh, you have to go back to the SOW level, like, like Phil mentioned, and if that's clear, then you should be in good shape. Right. 
scope creep is normal and even healthy so embrace it and uh you know find out ways to work with it because it's the reality of the the agile and changing uh, requirements of the projects that we uh you know find ourselves in uh which makes things exciting but can also end up in frustration if not managed properly Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast@experioinc.com or on Twitter at experioinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. I'm, I'm probably going to ruin this metaphor, but I'm going to attempt it. It's like a rose bush. Roses are beautiful, but if you don't, if you don't maintain and trim them, they'll run rampant and just become a monstrosity. Oh, and they will hurt you. And, and they will. That's right. They will hurt yeah. you. Yeah. Just like Scopecreek. There will yeah. always be thorns, but you can manage around the yeah. thorns if you take good care of it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's official. Don't get pricked. <laughs>